Is it okay to use the phone, Dell? Oh, sure. Oh, thanks. I hate to bother you, but old Gus decided to stay home today, and I have this extremely important phone call. Uh. Hey, Mike, Edie Harlow. Oh, you're sweet. Look, ten on Handy Andy in the first at Ormont. Do I still have time? Oh, just. Okay, on the nose. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Simon Says Sports <laughs> Show. I am your host, Derek Simon, and this is a show where we talk about sports, but from a gambling perspective. And I think you're going to like this week's show because I got the idea from last week's show. Of course, last week was the debut of the show, and I came in just loaded. Not, not the way you think, but maybe I should have been. I just had so many topics to talk about that when I listen back to the show, I confuse myself. And that's just never a good thing. So we got producer Jerry here. He's going to rein me in if he doesn't understand what I'm saying. We're going to talk about his Dallas Cowboys, so he'll probably shut down the show completely at oh. that point. <laughs> oh. uh, the, like I said, the thing that where I really related last week to gambling is all the different ideas and different theories and, you know, the things that you think about. So I wanted to talk about that in the game theory segment. We're going to talk about when is, you know, factors that you're using, when is it just simply too much? When does that paralysis of analysis start? And I think I can help you guys out with that a little bit. In the handicapping segment, I'm very excited about this because I'm going back to my roots. We've got the Pegasus World Cup races. I'll be looking at those, those from Gulfstream Park this weekend. And of course, the NFL championship games. But first, we'll talk in the news and notes and kind of summarize what happened last week. And if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, it had to be a tremendous disappointment. This is a team that I really thought were the Super Bowl favorites starting the season, and it just didn't turn out that way. Here's Josh Allen talking about the season, how it was basically a waste of time. Obviously, you want to you win all of them. That's the way it goes sometimes. Um... They had a good, they had a good game plan. Credit for those guys. They came out, they played hard. Um, we just didn't have today. Now, I talked about this on last week's show. Buffalo really was showing a lot of signs that all was not right. And I ran some incredible statistics from their first seven games and their last seven games. Now, what was interesting is that they were six and one for both segments, but scoring was down in the last seven games. The opponent's scoring was up in the last seven games. First downs were down. Total yards were down. Total offense. You know, the only thing that was up was rushing yards on offense. Defense was down. Basically every meaningful statistic, even though they were, again, 6-1 and one in their first seven and 6-1 and one in their last seven, I just didn't feel they were playing that well. Cincinnati, on the other hand, I did the same analysis for, that, for them. Obviously, you can kind of guess that they would have done better in their last seven games because they were 4-3 and three after the first seven. 7-0 seven and oh in their last seven. Scoring was up. Opponents' scoring was down. First downs were up. Now, the interesting thing with Cincinnati is that the yardage, both on offense and defense, were up or down, depending on which one you're considering. Obviously, with the offense, these you want the yardage to be up, it was down. With defense, you want it to be down, it was up. But rushing yardage was up, and also the rushing defense was better. And I do think that's critical. In the pass-happy NFL, there's still a place for actually having a rushing game and being able to stop the other team from running the ball against you. So that game, like I said, Cincinnati advances. You're going to hear a lot of talk now about Joe Burrow 
and how great Joe Burrow is. So let's play clip number three. This is Craig Carton of The Carton Show talking about Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. And I think we can now acknowledge that wherever you want to rank Josh Allen, it's well after Joe Burrow. Now, I bring that up because it is going to play a part when we look at these games in the handicapping segment. Let's recap the other game. That was Dallas versus San Francisco. And I like Dallas in this game. You remember I picked to? Dallas. Do we have to? <laughs> Do we really have to? They, what did you think, Jerry? You're a fan. They looked horrible to me. They did. And let me tell you something. Uh, at This is like, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an obsessive Dallas Cowboy fan. Like since I'm a kid, since I'm five years old, to a fault. Plan my days around their games. Plan, plan my life around the season. I mean, that's my favorite thing. I, lo- I love all sports, but my obsession is the Cowboys. And at the end of every season, when they don't win the Super Bowl, which is a lot, <laughs> I always go through the same process where it feels like a divorce. And I have a little bit of experience in that area. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a divorce because I'm exhausted. I'm sad. And I am in like in the process of healing, you know, mm-hmm. and after like about two months or so, I get over it and then I'm, I start getting myself pumped up, you know, for the right. next season. So I'm in that process now. But you were talking about numbers, Derek, and I've known you a while, you know, and you're always, you know, you, you're, you're, you're a very smart guy, the smartest guy in the room, right? I go through my own series of statistics and I had convinced myself that they were going to win for these reasons. And let me see if this makes any sense to you. The Niners had won 11 games in a row. They were due. They were due. The Niners were starting a rookie third-string quarterback who hadn't fallen off the cliff yet. He was due for a bad game, you know? And my Cowboys had not been to the championship game since 1995, blah, blah, blah. So they were due. So I turned all those negative things into positives into the law, of prob- the law of probabilities. You know, it's like, they can't win 12 games in a row. This third string quarterback cannot. And then at the end of the day, my defense did its job. And Absolutely. basically my quarterback shit the bed again. Yep. And I'm not putting it all on him. I love Dak. I'm a Dak fan. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm Dak till the end. But he had a bad season, man. Because Dak does not, Dak protects the ball. Every season leading up to this, he would have 27 touchdowns, four interceptions. 28 touchdowns, nine interceptions, you know, and this season was like an anomaly. I don't know what happened, but a lot of the blame, I have to say it, and I love this kid, but I I, got to place it on Dak. I have to. Before I get to the other part, because you raised some really interesting points, I definitely want to do that. You kind of segue beautifully into the fourth clip I have. This is Stephen A. Smith on ESPN First Take and his take on Dallas and Dak. Dak Prescott was awful. Just awful, okay? I ain't let Kellen Moore off the hook either because you got to make some adjustments. You got to find a way. Schultz, you catch the pass. You don't know the rules. Mm. You don't know what the moment is. You're supposed to have forward progress. You understand what I'm saying? You got to keep that clock moving. Oh, no, 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 no. This is what this man does. And then you look at all of those things, and then you're supposed to punt the ball. And you waste about 35 oh, seconds. I mean, you just can't make that. This is after last year <laughs> not being able to get off a snap in the last 13, 14 seconds. Okay. A lot of Cowboy fans hate Stephen A. Smith. I see Stephen A. Smith. You know how everyone has that little devil and that little angel on their shoulders? Right, right. He's my little devil because yeah. he whispers in my ear the things that I know. He tells me and he says it leading up. They're going to embarrass you. You know they're going to embarrass you. You know that so-and-so is not going to show up. You know this could happen. So he's like that little devil. So I, I'm not mad at Stephen A. because at the end of the day, he told the truth. Yeah. You know? I think the the other point that you brought up that I think is really, really good and I think it's something that we definitely want to address is the it's due 
thing. Um, so I want to be the little devil on your shoulder and say nothing is due. Uh, you can look at a series of events and say, you know, what are your chances? In fact, I got a kind of a, a riddle for you that I want to run by you as well. But you can look at a series of events and say, what are the chances of this happening? And you can come up with a probability. But once you're in the middle of that series, you can't go back to the start and say, okay, they've won 11 in a row. What are the chances of winning 12? It's defined at the start. Everything, you know, in the middle, like if you're flipping a coin, the flip of the coin is going to be 50%. And on that subject, I want to actually give you a little riddle. I've talked to others about this. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you, my brother is a mathematician and he's the one who came up with this and I really like it. So you have somebody that is flipping a coin. Okay. You just meet somebody on the street. They're flipping a coin. They flip heads 10 in a row on the 11th flip. They offer to give you six to five odds if they flip tails. So you're getting better than even odds. If they flip tails, do you take the bet? Do you not take the bet? And why? I think I do. I think I do because I always fall on that. And to a fault, I fall on that dude, 10 in a row. That's it. You know, it's got to end at some point. Mm -hmm. It's got to end at some point. But in dealing with a football team and what you said in your opening, the Niners were trending up. The Cowboys were trending down because my numbers were down. My scoring was down. My defense was allowing a lot of points. Dak was making mistakes. Numbers don't lie. And that's the way I have to approach games differently with my mind and not with my heart. But it's hard for me. It's hard exactly. for me. And, and in that example, most people would take your side or they would take the tails because they think it's a 50-50 proposition. My statement to all of these people is that you have to, you have to look at what actually happened. Now, I even had, I, when I gave this example earlier, I said, you can look at the coin. Well, most of us wouldn't know how to evaluate whether it's a fair coin or not, but let's say you could. The point is, is that you still don't know what's going on and the chances of somebody flipping, and I should have gotten this before the show, but the chances of somebody flipping heads 10 times in a row is very, very minuscule. So you got to wonder what's up. Studies have been done. And there are people that can literally flip a coin 60% of the time. I want to say in one study, it was 67% of the time that they flipped either wow. heads or tails. So trust what you see. And it goes to exactly what you just said about trusting the numbers and not your gut. Our gut often fails us. And I think as a fan of teams, we tend to be too negative. I know as a Seattle fan, I'm always expecting the worst. And, and one of the things that got me over the depression, if this helps you any, is years ago, I had just moved to Denver and Seattle, the Supersonics were still in the league or were still known as the Supersonics. And they were playing the Denver Nuggets and they were big favorites. Number one. What are C. they now? Yeah. What, you remember that? Yeah. But yeah. What, are, what, are, what are the Sonics now? They, they moved where? Uh, Oklahoma. They're the, they're the Thunder. Yeah. Okay. So I don't follow the NBA actually ever gotcha, since. Gotcha. I'm still a little bitter. But uh, the Sonics were big favorites. They won the first two games of the series, lost the last three. And I still have that picture a Matumbo with the ball over his head, laying in the lane. And it, I mean, I was sick about it. Then I saw an interview with Gary Payton and he's in front of his palatial estate and he's laughing and he's joking. And I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? I'm all upset. Peyton is fine. And, and by the way, nothing against him. That's right. fine. Right. It, it was well after the playoffs when this was, was taken. And I thought, well, if he's not upset about it, I got a lot more things. To, I don't have a palatial estate. I got a lot more things to worry about than Gary Payton. So that helped me get over. Absolutely right. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And that was a lesson my dad gave me when I was a kid. He's like, he, they're not worried about you. Because when I was a kid, I would cry. Oh, yeah. When the yeah. Cowboys would lose, when the, when the Steelers were, were, were killing us in the 70s in Super Bowls. 
And I would be crying in my room with a little kid. And my dad's like, he's not, you know, Roger Staubach's not worried about you. You know, mm-hmm. Tom Landry's not worried about you. Get over it. It's okay. They'll be back next season. So slowly but surely. I don't get upset like that anymore, you know. But it, it you know, I was upset that night. On Sunday night, I was upset. Monday morning, I yeah. was upset. But slowly, I got back in. You know, I'm, 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 I'm all right. I'm a- I'll tell you the game that affected me more as an adult. Like I, I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm much better now. But when Seattle lost the Super Bowl on that interception on the goal line, it was so stunning and so sudden that that one, that one took a while to get over. And I don't know if Seattle ever got over it, you know, so. Well, that was the beginning of the Russ Wilson downfall, I think, because like uh, he started to lose the confidence. I don't know if he changed the play or if the players felt, but uh, your cornerback, uh, the kid with the long drag, what's his name? I love him. Richard Um, Sherman. Richard Sherman on his podcast still talks about it. How's that dude? The, The coaches were always giving him what he wanted and stuff like that. So that was kind of the beginning of the downfall of Russ Wilson. And we saw what he did this year in Denver, which was nothing. Yeah, nothing. exactly. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. going to be interesting going forward next year because I'm yeah. hearing more talk that Sean Payton. He doesn't have that team. He I don't know if he's lost the team, but they, not all of them I'll are tell behind you, My it. perspective as a Seattle fan is that Wilson became way too concerned about winning MVPs and kind of became a prima donna. He went Hollywood, he, man. Yeah, he thought he was better than he is. He's very good doing the stuff that he's good at. But, you know, one of the one of the biggest things you constantly hear people to talk about, well, you know, you you got to have confidence. You got to believe. And I said, "Look, you know, I I love to lift weights. But if you put 500 pounds in the bar and told me to bench press it, and then said, "No, you got to think positive." It doesn't matter if I think positive. It doesn't matter what I do. That is too much weight for me. And I think there's a a silliness that comes along with doing that. And and frankly, a danger that you're you're really going to hurt yourself or that you're just going to make bad decisions because you can think you can do something that you can't. And I think, you know, obviously Wilson didn't crush get crushed by 500 pounds, but he certainly his legacy took a major hit. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's next next season is going to be interesting to see what happens. See if they put people around him and see how the team responds to him. That's they need be- a strong coach, and I I'm hearing that Peyton might not be their hire. And if, if Denver hires some unknown coach or something like, that, I think it's going to be disaster because they they need a strong, almost GM type coach that needs to take the reins. Yeah, no, they need a team. Parcells, a Jimmy Johnson. They need a, a, a you know, a, a, a no nonsense, not a player coach. He cannot be a player coach. Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the game theory segment. I wanted to to talk about this because it is something that comes up a lot. And as most people know, I'm a database handicapper, so I use data. I look at data. But I've always gotten a kick out of people who say that they have a system and it analyzes 103 variables or 104, and, and they start to make it a contest. Yeah, your system analyzes 104 well. Do you look at the depth of the track or do you look at the, you to go out and you know measure the blades of grass on the field? All of these different kinds of things. In fact, it reminds me, I worked at this, this newsletter uh, and we would have meetings every Monday morning. And the folks would all talk about different things going on, like things going on in China. Like, what's going on in China? Well, this, this is bad. And, and I used to think to myself, okay, that's great that you know that because it, it really struck me as people just demonstrating what they know. How does it relate to IBM? How does it relate to Apple? How does it relate to what you're doing? And that's where people have trouble. And I think the more variables you introduce, the more difficulties that come about. And and to give you an example, the biggest thing, the biggest problem is that you start to get overlap. 
And again, I know from all the methods and, and uh, algorithms that I have that that is a huge problem. So one example of that, if you're looking at horse racing and you're looking at form and speed, well, they're tied together because the faster you go, the more likely you are to win the race. And so generally, you're not going to see a horse that got beat by 50 lengths in his last race that has a great buyer speed figure. Buyer speed figures, by the way, are, are figures that kind of standardize the track surface. So you buyer speed? They're called buyer speed figures. Andrew Buyer was a handicapper and and he uh, he wrote a book and, and talked about equalizing tracks because at one time when you had especially bad weather, you could have a, a, a race that would normally be run in, you know, let's say 110 for six furlongs. Suddenly it's two seconds slower and two seconds in horse racing is a long time. When, when they, uh, quick question. When they call a horse a mutter, what does that mean? Uh, it means that they're better on the in the mud why though why because well, they have a longer stride because they're stronger <laughs> it, it ties into just what i was talking about because somebody said so at one <laughs> point in the past performances um daily racing form being kind of the standard in racing they would give mud symbols but it was based on how a horse had performed in the past and it didn't necessarily mean anything to answer your question more specifically some people have talked about maybe it's the hoof size there's all kinds of different things that that play into it but uh it's not something i honestly i've done so many studies on track conditions and it makes almost no difference okay, from a right predictive on. standpoint right so but that's a good example another example is and i've talked about this point differential and wins and losses it's used a lot in place of wins and losses because once again, if you win a game, you have to score more points than the other team. If you lose a game, you're going to score less. So looking at point differential and then having a separate factor that is your one loss record, generally not a great idea. And the other thing that comes about, because that's the point of this whole dissertation and, and what happened in the first show that I did, is that you have so much that you want to say that you wind up saying nothing. Um, and that's a big, big problem. And especially when you're trying to make judgments, because, you know, you can look at one stat that says, well, this team is seven and oh, ATS in their last eight games. And I talked about how that gets really goofy there. Seven and oh, ATS at night when the temperature is 32 degrees, you know, all kinds of crazy things like that. What's ATS? Uh, against the spread. Copy. Yeah. And then SU is straight up, but, but ATS is generally talked about when, when gamblers are talking. So when you have that kind of stuff going on, you have all this disparate information, you get to a point where you don't know, you don't make a decision. Your point about the Dallas Cowboys being due, at least that's something. At least you had some basis. Like I said, I don't think it's a good basis, but at least it's something. So... Again, you, you really want to narrow it down. I know the biggest problem that I have specifically with all my horse racing stuff is that I find things that work. And what do you do when you find something that works? You tend to repeat it. And I'm kind of that way anyway. You know, if I find a route to a certain place because I'm directionally challenged, that's the route I take. And then, you know, five months later, somebody will tell me, well, you can just go down this way. Yeah, and I do the oh. same thing. <laughs> I've been going the long way my whole life, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, part of it too is just, it's, it's, I like scenic. I can't stand like driving on some of these busy streets. It just, it makes me nervous. So again, you want to limit the factors. And when you 
come up with factors, try to come up with stuff that is unique. You can use a lot of different mathematical tools. Uh, linear regression is used a lot. It's probably used too often, to be honest, but it, it is a way of kind of finding the weights of certain variables. But even there, you just don't want to have a lot of them. So my advice to all gamblers is that when you hear people talk about their methods that are evaluating all these different variables, most of the time it's to dazzle you. It's, it's not a great idea. Now, weighing against that, there's a guy named Bill Benter, who's a professional horse player, has made reputedly millions of dollars playing the races in Japan. And I want to say his system has upwards of 50 variables. But again, horse racing has a lot more variables, period. So it's not the same as sports betting, but just something that I think everybody should keep in mind. Now, the part that I'm really excited about, a lot of great games, obviously the championship games, and then also some horse racing. And something else that I learned from the first show, there was a point where I was talking about Kansas City, and Cincinnati and taking the under. And I said, maybe I'll take the under. See, maybe is not what you do in betting. <laughs> maybe doesn't work. You know, you can't go up to the window and, or to a sports book and say, hey, maybe I bet that game. Yeah, it's like being sort of pregnant. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so <laughs> when I listen to that, it's like, oh, come on. Because I've, I've literally made my career being pretty definitive about what I believe in. If I'm, wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But you don't say maybe. So there will be none of that today. I don't really have super strong plays, but at the same time, it's going to be a play. I want to take a look first at San Francisco at Philadelphia. This is a really, really intriguing game to me in that I bet against San Francisco all year. I've lost with San Francisco or betting against San Francisco all year. The line presently at one time, this was an actual computer pick of mine. And then the line changed and it no, no longer is, but I want to give you guys some stats on this game. First of all, I found this fascinating. The home team in this series, six and 16 ATS. So already that's in favor of San Francisco as the road team. Here's another stat that I like to do just because I think it, it helps people when there is a point spread when the point spread has been two and a half, well, no, I shouldn't put it that way. The teams have, the difference between the teams, the margin of victory or defeat is greater, has been greater than two and a half or equal to two and a half, which of course it can't be. So greater than two and a half, 22 times, only once was it less than that total. So my point here is that the point spread really doesn't mean anything. When we get to the end, we are going to bet this game on the money line. It just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to, to take points. As far as the individual statistics, the under 7-0 in the 49ers' last seven playoff road games. I think this is meaningful because the 49ers have been playing very, very good football of late. And, of course, their defense just looks incredibly good to me. They're also 4-0 ATS versus a team with a winning record. That is this year, and I think that is also very, very impressive. You had mentioned, Jerry, about the rookie quarterback. And I'm telling you, I have not been that impressed with a rookie in a long time. And I know we've had some good rookies, Joe Burrow. We've had some great rookies play. But this guy doesn't make mistakes. I just, I don't see it. Like, Dak Prescott made some horrible throws. Horrible. Horrible decisions. I don't see Purdy doing that. And so he's not playing like a rookie. And, of course, there is precedent for rookies winning the Super Bowl. Or young players winning the Super Bowl. Tom Brady certainly comes to mind. Eagles, one in five 
ATS in their last six games in January. Now, I've said before that those statistics I think are interesting, but they're not always meaningful. The stuff that I think is meaningful is the actual database stuff that I do. And here again, we got some really cool stuff. The visiting team, when they're an underdog of one to two and a half points. And by the way, that is very important, as you'll see in a second. But one to two and a half points, um, 23 and 14 against the spread. That's 60%. That's good for an 18.67% ROI. And you had talked to me last week about ROI. ROI is return on investment. So don't look at it because people will present it different ways. Don't look at it as 18.67% of your entire bet. No, that's your profit. So you can look at it as profit margin, 18.67%. They're six and six with a 7% ROI on the money line. Also, the under is 18 and 13. Remember, that's with a visiting team underdog of one to two and a half points. All right. Visiting team underdog of exactly three points, 22 and 24 ATS. So that is a losing proposition. So you see how important that half point is. Three points is a key point in the NFL, as is seven points. And so the two and a half points is very, very meaningful here. So for you beginning bettors, if you go to the sports book and let's say, let's say you're betting on, well, it really wouldn't matter either team, but specifically the Eagles, because you're going to have to spot those points. If it's a three point spread, that's a big difference from two and a half. And you might not want to make that bet. And by the way, as a value better, and I think that's the only way you can profit betting, these kinds of things have to be taken to, into account. You always have to look at price. So the, to finish out the thought on that, the ROI is, well, this is, I got, I don't know what I got on my notes here. Here's I, where, here's where I think that game is going to, is going to turn. I mean, this is coming at it from a pure football, non-analytical uh, uh, position. And that is the defensive line of the uh, Eagles is leading the league in sacks. I mean, they, they have all their front four linemen have double digit sacks, which is mm -hmm. unheard of, unheard of. Right. So all four of those front down linemen have double digit sacks this year. They lead the league in sacks. And my team, five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys, who constantly disappoint me, my team played well last week and they rattled Purdy. They rattled him. They got in there. They were messing up because they scored 19 points. They scored one touchdown against this man. I mean, let's, let's look at this game for what it was. My, my, my offense is what, let, is what let me down. My defense showed up because my defense was in the backfield and they kind of got... They got, they got in his way. You know, they didn't, right. they didn't rattle him. He didn't look rattled. He's very poised. But he couldn't do what he wanted to do. So if that Eagles defensive line can get in that backfield and kind of throw Purdy off of his rhythm, then I think this could get ugly for the Niners. If the Niners can protect Purdy, we're going to have a heck of a ball game. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that is the formula in football these days. You have got to rush the passer because it is such a pass centric game that you have to get pressure on the quarterback. That's how we got Brady in week one. That's exactly how we um, got Brady. What's interesting, though, is, is Brady, to me, gets more rattled than other quarterbacks. At this age, yeah. Which is which is funny. Yeah. Um, But he's saved because he has such a quick release. I'm not seeing that from Purdy. I'm, I'm just not seeing him break down. I totally agree with you on that. And that's what makes this game tough. The, the, the fundamentals compared to some of the stats, they, they don't line up because 
it, it, it is going to come down to whether or not Purdy is going to be able to throw the ball. To stay in rhythm. I think having McCaffrey is going to help because McCaffrey is a great receiver. Stud. Yeah, and so and Debo, they can work stud. that. Yeah, they can work that short yeah. game very, very well. Back to the stats. Visiting team underdogs. This was fascinating to me. You know that San Francisco actually has a greater point differential than the Philadelphia Eagles, which is, like I said, very interesting. Uh, visiting team underdogs with a point differential of plus 10 points or more, 10 and 7 against the spread. Remember, all these stats are from 1978, so just keep that in mind. And a plus 12.3% ROI. They're only 2 and 5 with a minus 30% ROI of the money line. So you're, you're seeing here, like I mentioned, we're going to bet this game on the money line. Um, it depends <laughs> because there are certain stats that back up betting the line as opposed to the money line. But we'll get we'll get to that later. And then here's one of those contradictory statistics with this stat. The over is 10 and five. And that's where it gets very, very, you know, interesting, because when you have a close game, a lot of times those are the games that are going to go over. If one team just blows the other team out, that that's going to be difficult to get the over on those. So. I'm, I'm looking at that. Of course, I was on the under last week. I, I'm not betting any over-unders this week. Let's see. Home team pay, favorite. This is this is a, a, a great stat in favor of Philadelphia. Home team favorites with a point differential of plus seven or greater, 10 and eight against the spread. Here's where it gets interesting, though. They're only seven and six when that differential is less than the opponent, and that is the case in this game, three and two when it is greater than the opponent. So with all that being said, and keeping in mind, you know, the, the the fundamental side of it, I just think San Francisco offers value here. And I would take the money line in this case at plus 125 or greater or, or better, however you want to put it. But, you know, the higher, the better, obviously, when you're betting the money line. So just look for those prices. If you're getting a bad price, you don't bet. It's it's just that simple. Who wins the game? <sighs> Well, with my bet, it better be San Francisco. So I'm going to say San Francisco. And honestly, this this may be a bias of mine. To cover or to win? Uh, right. To win straight up. Yeah? Yeah, I, yeah, like I really do. I, I think San Francisco is a very, very good team. I One of the problems with Philadelphia, we talked about San Francisco and Purdy. One of the problems with, with Philadelphia is they're pretty one-dimensional too in that they really need that running game to work. When that running game's not working, they will struggle. And San Francisco can really shut down the run. It's going to be interesting tactically, too, as to how these coaches approach it. Because I got to think that San Francisco and, you know, obviously I was in Denver when his dad coached the Broncos. These guys are pretty sharp. I got to think that he knows that they're going to come after Purdy. And so I think he's going to be prepared for that. But on the other side of the coin, you know, what is Philadelphia going to do and how are they going to prepare? prepare i feel the same way i agree with you i, I would go with 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 uh <laughs> with the niners but for a different reason my friends make fun of me because they call me stockholm because they say that i have the stockholm syndrome you know stockholm syndrome is when the captors fall in love with their with their uh right. when, the, when someone gets kidnapped and it happened with patty hearst you know where the, you yes. keep them for a long time and they fall in love or they grow an affinity for their captors whenever the cowboys get beat by somebody in my head, they become the world beaters because they beat us so they can win anything. So my Stockholm syndrome right now is telling me that, <laughs> that the Niners are going to beat the Eagles in Philly. But, you know, I like that because most people are the opposite. They get mad. No. Like you talked about the Cowboys and how you became a fan. 
you realize I was an anti-Dallas yeah. guy at one time because they beat the Broncos and Thomas Holly, I'm a little kid. Thomas Hollywood Henderson takes an orange crush can, Jerry. Yep. And he crushed it. Yep. Crushed my heart when he did that. Yep. Yep. And you guys had Craig Morton, which was oh. our ex-quarterback. And Roger was, Roger Staubach was like in his first or second year. He replaced Craig Morton and, you know, they were switching. They were like back and forth. Yes. And I thought it was great because they ship off my quarterback to the Broncos and he takes them to the Super Bowl. Right. And I was a little kid too, but I'm thinking, yeah. oh, karma. He's going to come and crush us. Yeah. He's going to come and crush us, you know, but uh, no, it worked out well in our favor. Well, I remember that, that scene. That fits with what you said about the rush. Being, of course, different, different uh, time, but yeah. Craig Morton was not mobile at no. all. And no. Dallas just beat Doomsday, him baby. Up. Doomsday oh, defense. Man. That yeah. was bad. All right. Let's take a look at what probably most people are considering the marquee game. And that's Cincinnati at Kansas City. And I mentioned initially that I want everybody to keep in mind what is being said now about Joe Burrow? Because I remember when this happened, probably to an even greater degree with Cam Newton. And I like Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton's a really tough guy. Cam Newton, I felt, got so many late hits and cheap hits that they let go because he was so big. And I, I think you kind of see that with Allen a little bit too. But with Newton, it, it was pretty bad. But Newton was never, I mean, come on, he was never a premier quarterback. He had a good year, and it wasn't even a great year. And then he's the anointed one. He's the new prototype. And, you know, what Denver did in that game and Von Miller, I've never really seen anything like that. Von Miller owned him in that Super Bowl. And in my opinion, I think Cam lost his reputation on that play where he didn't dive after that fumble. Remember that Super yes, Bowl? Yes, uh, absolutely. The ball was sitting right there, and it yeah. was a business decision. I get it. Right. There were these two big guys coming down, and he had to either jump. He just kind of, like, stepped back. Yep. That kind of like, that was the beginning of the end for him, I yeah, believe. Yeah, And it's funny opinion. how when it happens, it, it happens quickly. But I want to play clip number five. This is a guy, I got to get his name here. Coach JB on Jason Whitlock is talking about how Mahomes is overrated. Listen to this. He's four years into the league. He's been in the Super Bowl twice. He's thrown two touchdowns, four picks in two Super Bowls. The worst statistics from any starting quarterback in two Super Bowls in the history of football. All right. Wow. I wanna, yeah, I wow. want to play that clip for a, a couple wow. of reasons. First of all, I, I think it's clearly, you know, a, a shock jock approach. We're going to say something that's controversial. But I've talked a lot about statistics, and I've talked about how you have to be careful when you listen to people say things, and you have to listen to context. The minute he said the worst statistics ever, I thought that doesn't sound right. First of all, we're in a different era. Yep. And then secondly, again, I grew up as a Denver fan. I remember John Elway. So I want to give you guys some stats here. First of all, Patrick Mahomes has a 105.7 career passer rating in the regular season and a 1.6% interception rate. In the playoffs, he has a 106.2 passer rating, so greater and a 1.5% interception rate, which is lower than his regular season rate. How do you then say, that he can't play. Now, admittedly, Coach JB here talked about the Super Bowl, but how do you talk about, you know, him as a overrated quarterback? So that's number one. Number two, let's take a look at this statement that that is the worst. Those are the worst statistics in Super Bowl history. Mahomes is one for one in the Super Bowl in his first two Super Bowl tries. That's important because I'm going to compare him to John Elway, who had many Super Bowl tries. He has a 57% passer 
completion rate. Well, he's one and one, correct? One and one, correct. One, yeah. one, one and last one. Exactly. And a 4.4% interception rate and only a 65.5% passer rating in the Super Bowl. So clearly that that's, you know, Coach JB is right. That's not good. John Elway, though, 48% completion rate. He, too, has thrown four interceptions. You remember, you know, Mahomes' performance was unheralded or, or, you know, we've never seen anything like it before. And Elway had a 59.9 passer rating in his first two Super Bowls. His second Super Bowl against Washington rivaled Craig Morton. In fact, I remember watching that game and pining for Craig Morton at one point <laughs> because it was it was not good. And John Elway, this is no knock against John Elway. John Elway took teams to the Super Bowl that really didn't belong, and and that was one of them. But let's not let's not call Patrick Mahomes overrated. I get the point that he doesn't have the games that some of these other guys do. But Patrick Mahomes is he's a kid, very, man. He's he's four, he's four years in the league. And let me tell you something. When John Elway was losing uh, those Super Bowls, he didn't have Terrell Davis. He didn't have Shannon Sharp. He didn't have exactly. that. You know, he didn't have that defense. It takes a village, man. We know that. We That's know right. that. And Mahomes has a village. He has a village. Right. My question is his ankle. Yes. That's yes. that's that throws all the numbers out the window in my in my opinion because we don't know cuz the Chiefs aren't going to tell us right. how bad or good he is and it looked bad. Did you yeah. see that? It yes. looked bad. Yes. So if Mahomes is not mobile, which is 50% of his game getting out of trouble and creating stuff, he becomes stationary, he becomes Tom Brady, he becomes Drew Bledsoe, he becomes a, a mobile uh, a, a statue quarterback with a great arm. Yeah. That's 50% of his game, Derek, you know? See, and, and this too is is why the numbers aren't always telling. Because exactly, exactly what you said, we don't know. What did you say last week? Uh, lie, lie, figure, lie, figures lie and liars figure. That's you know? exactly right. Yeah, no. it, it can be very, very difficult. Now, now, here's the interesting thing on the stat side of it. Teams with a bet rating, remember that's my own rating um, to analyze how teams do against the spread or against the money line, whatever the case may be. Teams with a bet rating of 2.00 or greater, which is normally a great thing. And Kansas City does have a bet rating greater than two. Just 8 and 15 against the spread in the playoffs. 34.8%. That is a stunning number. And like I said, I think it's very meaningful. Home teams favored on my line with a greater point differential than their opponent, like Kansas City. Here's a real positive one for Kansas City. Once again, we're getting those... <laughs> yin and yang type things 86 and 56 that's a 60.6 percent against the spread rate very very good and they win 71 percent of the time straight up so that's definitely in favor of kansas city um i talked about a little bit about mahomes and like you said jerry so much of that is going to come down to mobility i think the thing that sways me here and remember i said i don't really have strong opinions in in this playoff round but I think the Burrow factor and the fact that so many people now are talking about him being great. I have a, a Facebook friend who I love this guy because he's always on both sides of the game. And, and then he says things he never said. He said, remember when I told you Joe Burrow is the greatest quarterback in the NFL? I told him, you literally never told me that. You, you started this mantra like two weeks ago. And I think <laughs> a lot of people, do. I mean, early in the season, Burrow was getting pounded and it didn't look like he would even, you know, make it through the season alive much less be this great quarterback and he is a great quarterback but that narrative is starting to steamroll in fact i forget where this game opened but the chiefs are now underdogs 
And I just think you, you got to take Kansas City at home. Absolutely. Yeah. And listen, my simpleton logic that goes along with my with my with my Stockholm syndrome theory and with my their due theory is the revenge factor theory, because this very same team came into this very same stadium last year. We're down early in the first half. We're down big. I don't remember how much. I think it was by 17 or something like that. And they came back on this team and went to the Super Bowl. How big a factor is the revenge factor for the Kansas City Chiefs? And does that play into their motivation? That's what. That's the kind of simpleton logic that I use when I make my bets. Oh, they're, they're angry. They're going to get back. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. how does that play into it? I'm going to talk about that at some point on a later show. I don't think it's as meaningful as people think. Um, there's a, a one of my favorite statements by Mike Tyson is everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the face. And I always think about that. Like like I talked about bench pressing 500 pounds, there is a limit. Like I can't, just because I'm mad or angry, expect to go and compete against a professional athlete or, you know, compete against the the really, you know, strong guys, like the power lifters and stuff like that. It's just, just not close. So I don't think it's as meaningful as people think, but I do think, you know, we all have egos. We were talking about Russell Wilson and, his ego. Well, Patrick Mahomes is now hearing how yeah. Joe Burrow is the greatest quarterback in the league. And like you said, the injury is going to play a big part in that. But I just get a feeling that that Patrick Mahomes is going to play well. I know they're going to have a go good game plan. The other thing that Coach JB said, which I thought was interesting, is he talked about the Kansas City system and how good the system is. And when you look at Andy Reid and you look at some of the quarterbacks that he's had and done really, really well with, there is something to that. In fact, I'll never forget, it was uh, Bill Walsh when, when he first came in and, and really revolutionized offenses in the Against NFL. the Cowboys. <laughs> Thanks there for bringing that up. There was a guy by the name of Steve DeBerg who played for years <laughs> yeah, in the NFL. Yeah, I remember Steve DeBerg. In, in DeBerg's year previous to Walsh, he'd completed like 46% of his passes. And again, I tell everybody, this was a different era. Walsh kind of you know, ushered in the new era. But he was a 46% passer. Under Walsh, he completes, I believe it was 60% of his passes may have been in the high fifties, but a complete turnaround. So the system absolutely matters here. But again, I always go back to the fact that I just think there's value with Kansas city. So I would take them also on the money line, look for a hundred or better. In other words, don't look to pay any juice at all. You should be able to find that because this game is definitely turning in favor. Yeah. Of I like, I like both these quarterbacks. I like Joe cool. I love Patrick Mahomes. He went to Texas tech. I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I think Joe went to LSU, Joe, Joe Burrow, yes, LSU yeah. kid. They're both young quarterbacks. They're the future of the league. They have different approaches, but they're both, you know, up, upstanding citizens. They're, they're young. I think they're great. I like, I like, I like Kansas city as well because of Andy Reid, And I think he's going to game plan the living crap out of this game and learn from last season. So where I call it revenge, I think Andy Reid will call it a learning curve and come up with something. Just like you said, that the Eagles will come up with something, something for, for Brock Purdy. I think Andy Reid has a little something, something for Joe Burrow. That is a great point, and it's underrated, is that, and this is, I think applies to life. You learn more often from failure than you do from success. Absolutely. Because when you have success, you don't always know why. Like, it's always amazing to me when somebody is successful and they don't understand why. And it's like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a good example to me. He was a cult figure, but I don't 
think that he ever got that. I don't think that he got it's the idea that he's this cocky, over-the-top persona. And that was at the heart of it. You know, to me, that's where having a little bit of failure and some humility, you can learn from it. And I definitely think that that is probably what you see more often than the revenge factor. I was just looking at the time and we're running late. So I'm going to have to kind of rush through the, the Gulfstream Park uh, picks here. This is the Pegasus Cup. At one time, this was kind of a big deal. It was started to be a premier race at the start of the year to kind of match the Breeders' Cup races with their million-dollar purses and so forth. And so owners would pay in, and you had like this $10 million purse, and it was the biggest, most you know richest race in the world. And then along comes the Saudi Cup and just completely obliterates the Pegasus. And it's just not the same. So the two races I want to talk about, and again, I'll go very quickly here, but we got the World Cup Invitational Turf and also the World Cup itself. The turf race is, is really interesting to me. And I think what I'll do is just give you guys some, some good value lines to work with. And if you're going out to Gulfstream Park, I think they charge like $100 to get in or it's, it's some crazy fee. I don't know. I have no idea what racing is doing half the time. But the turf race, first of all, there's not a lot of pace. In other words, there's not a lot of early speed signed on. So how the pace sets up is going to be very, very interesting. I think that makes a tone a contender. A tone set the pace last time in an extre in extremely slow fractions. But in the turf, a lot of times, or on the turf, it's more about where you want to be early and not whether or not the pace is slow because the pace is slow in a lot of turf races. So I think a tone, especially with Arad Ortiz aboard, I think he can really get a good trip and he can definitely kick it home. Now, what's interesting is this is a grade one affair and there are exactly two grade one winners, at least looking at the last 10 starts for each horse in this race. And that's speaking scout and then the morning line favorite Ivor. I don't think either one of those horses offer a lot of value. So I would look at a Tony's 12 to one on the morning line. I like him at about eight to one or so. And then the other horse that ranks highly on all my methods, all my algorithms is a horse by the name of city man. And I think the most interesting thing about City Man is that he last raced at Gulfstream Park. And that's been a big factor in Gulfstream races. These horses, at least in the World Cup series, have outrun their odds. And City Man is only four to one on the morning line. I think that's a problem. But he definitely rates highly. He should get a good trip. He's not a grade one winner. But like I said, there's not many in here. I'd put his fair odds at about nine to two. And again, he is four to one on the morning line. The World Cup itself is a much better field, but it's still a little bit tricky. And the horse I'm going to suggest that you keep a really close eye on here is White Aberio. This horse is four for four at Gulfstream Park. And in fact, won a grade one race at Gulfstream Park last year, that being the Florida Derby. He's four years old. Tyler Gaffleone is back on board. I think that's a plus. I do see a lot of gaps in racing with these horses. And I know it's a different time and horses can come off a of layoffs. I still don't like seeing it, especially for big races like this. I like to see a little bit more preparation. Now, White Aberio has only been off for 56 days, but still, I would have liked it to be a little bit closer to race time. But I do think eight to one represents a fair price 
Another horse that I think is kind of intriguing is riding with Biden simply because I've got different reads on him. I have some speed figures that say he competes, other speed figures that say he doesn't stand any shot whatsoever. But he does fit in that he does have quite a bit of early speed. He can press the pace. He's coming from parks. He only raced 24 days ago. All of that is positive. He's dropping some weight. And he's 20 to 1 on the morning line. He's probably fair at about 15 or so. And mind you, when you're betting a 15 to 1 or a horse that's fair at 15 to 1, that's still a very low probability event. But he would be one that I would be looking out for. And then I thought there was one other one. Um, well, just a few comments on some of the, oh, Skippy Longstocking, who, again, I think is too light on the morning line, but last race at Gulfstream, has competed well, hasn't won a grade one, but has competed well, gets Jose Ortiz aboard, you know, top jockey. So he's one that I would look at, but I just don't think you're going to get much of a price there. And a race like this, I say it all the time with big events, whether it's the Kentucky Derby or Breeders' Cup or whatever, you got to get a price. If you're just concerned about cashing tickets, that's I'm just not interested in that. It's it's about actually making money on these races. And so I don't I don't see taking a short price on that. Some others, just to kind of give you some comments on, the race favorite in here is Cyberknife. He's making the final start of his career. He's the fastest horse overall in the race. But his late speed has not been that impressive. It's been 84 days since he last raced. He doesn't have the style that I like. And of course, the biggest thing is he is the morning line favorite, five to two. So again, to kind of recap everything here, there are a lot of picks, but we had San Francisco at plus 125 or better on the money line. Take Kansas City at plus 100 or better on the money line. In the Gulfstream Park, uh, what's it called? Pegasus. <laughs> you can tell the show's gone on a little bit. <laughs> I need a, a nap. Here. That's what I need. Um, in the World Cup turf, I would take a tone at eight to one or greater and hope that he can set a very easy pace like he did last time. And in the World Cup, I would take White Aberio at eight to one or better. Remember, you can find this podcast at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And remember to check out all the great podcasts at aguamedia.com. And by the way, I noticed that we've all got the bios up there now and they've got the show listing. It's very, very convenient. I definitely recommend you guys go check that out. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be back again next week. You can bet on it. Agua.